Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you here. Wow, I don't know. I've just got to deal with that. It's like uh, communion cups from the last six weeks or six months. <clears throat> so, yeah, glad you're here. Uh, you know, I've been working through First Corinthians. First Corinthians is uh, a book of meat and potatoes and so it's uh, sometimes it's kind of some heavy stuff and it's probably good that you don't have to you know be with me as every Sunday as we work through this because you get a little bit of a break Um, but you do kind of have to remember back to what it is that uh, we've been going through what we've been working through so I'm up to 1st Corinthians 11 and uh, you know that First Corinthians church had a lot of problems. That was a problem church. They had all kinds of things going on. And uh, you remember last time uh, there were a lot of issues between the, the people, issues between the attendees of the church, and a lot of a lot of uh, interpersonal, a lot of social, a lot of cultural problems. And so Paul is dealing with that in this 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul starts out in verse 1, he says, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and you keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every Woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman's head is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not just from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of angels. Nevertheless, Neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering." But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Lord God Almighty, we thank you, Lord, for your word that lives on through the ages. We ask you, Lord, to reveal to us the depth of understanding that is in this scripture. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would open our eyes to see you clearly today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Must be this microphone that I'm using, different than mics. Um, so, 
that passage of Scripture is, um, what do I want to say? It's, it's, that passage of Scripture is pointed at that Corinthian church. A lot of times when we read Scripture, our first immediate response is, how does that fit into the American church? How does that fit? What is it telling us for today? What's the meaning of that? Um, keep in mind that Paul wrote this to that Corinthian church at that time with their problems, with their issues. And so he was addressing that issue. Paul, Paul is talking about also the proper role of women in the worship service. You've got to keep in mind, Paul didn't have any objection to women participating in the service. The issue that he's addressing there are customs of that time more than any deep theological issue. So the problem here is not whether a woman should be wearing veils in the service or... Uh, an issue of the length of their hair. Those are not the issues. The issues are cultural. How do you, how do you bring in, how do you reconcile cultural issues with the church? And later on in this chapter, he deals with the importance of not bringing differences between people into the service. And, um, and, then, and then at the very end, it's relating to the meaning of uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. So worship should unite us. We should be united as uh, a church. Um, this is part of the benefit of coming together. And as I look out at all of you, and I know some of you, uh, some of you I know fairly well, and some I don't know so well, but I know a little bit about you. And, and in a way, it's kind of amazing that we can come together and we can all worship together because we have different backgrounds. We have different histories. We have different interests. Um, we're all different ages. All of that fades. All of that becomes irrelevant when it comes time to worship the Lord. And um, praise God for that. But the potential for disagreements, the potential for discord is always there in a church. It's, it's always there. So, but it's through the process of singing, praying, uh, reading scripture, all of those things bring us together and we have unity because of the Lord. We have unity because of Jesus Christ and our desire to worship him. So remember that this letter is written to the Corinthian church. It's not written to us today. Can we extrapolate out uh, a lesson from that? Can we extrapolate out things that do mean something to us? Absolutely. All of Scripture is good for instruction. But you've got to remember, all of Scripture is not written to us today. If, if it were written to us today, in that passage, first thing all the women would have to do is go out and buy a hat. Because that's what it says, right? But that's not what it means to us. And that's really not the issue that Paul was even addressing there. He was addressing a cultural issue. And I'm going to get into that, and I'm hoping I can make that really clear. Um, he, he brings up whether or not it's proper for a woman to participate in worship bareheaded. The point is, uh, I, need to make, I need to make this point really quick before I move on to this. The point is, 
that this church is not the building. I, I'm guilty of this too. I refer to, I'm going to go to the church, right? And I'm, in, I mean, I'm intending to mean this building. But the church is not the building. The church is you people. God resides within you. You are God's house. You know, it bothers me when I hear people refer to this building as God's house. Um, God doesn't live in this house. He's here today. Yes, He's here today. But He's here today because of us. If we were gone, you know, suppose we decided we were going to have our service up on the butte out there. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing big up there that we could all meet in. We're going to be outside. We're going to be sitting outside. That would be where God is because God's with us. God is not stuck in this building. The church is the people. When it refers to the church, he's talking about you and me. You are God's temple. I'm God's temple. We need to keep that in mind. So I just want to clarify that a little bit. I know I've probably done that before, but I think it bears repeating a little bit, bears understanding um, that when Paul talks about the church, he's talking about the people. When we talk about the church, we're talking about the people. And, you know, if this building were changed, if this building were repurposed into potato storage, um, it would be a potato storage building. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be a church building anymore. And you wouldn't refer to it as God's house because it's full of spuds, you know? So that, it, this is, the point is, this is just a building. But you're the church. You're the church. And where you go, God goes. Where you go, the Holy Spirit goes. Um, so the issue that Paul was addressing here was specific to that Corinthian church. Um, it's the relevance of this passage of scripture is that because it was a cultural issue, because it was a social issue, we still have the same problems today. Things have not changed. The problem that they had were that there were new Christians who were bringing the customs of their pagan religion, um, the social customs of the Jewish religion. They were bringing that in into the church with them. They were trying to hang on to those things. They didn't want to let them go. And uh, that happens today, doesn't it? People come, they're a new Christian, but maybe they were part of some sect before and they had been taught that in order to worship God, you have to do this or that or the other thing. You wear this, you don't wear that, you know, all of those kinds of things. And they bring that with them. They don't understand that you need to leave that behind. In Paul's previous writings, he's talking about how we have freedom in Christ. We have freedom from those things. We have freedom from cultural expectations. We have freedom from... Um, Anything, anything that is in addition to the gospel, we have freedom from that. We don't have to bring that with us. So the women coming into the church there today, or then, back then, they were talking about uh, how a woman should should uh, serve in the church. What can a woman do? And um, so Paul was telling them that women... Go ahead and keep your head covered because there's so much discord and so much strife in your church 
Because some women are coming, you know, they listen to Paul's teaching, right? They listen to what he had said. He said, you have freedom from those things. The women were like, all righty, there goes the hat. Not wearing the hat anymore. I'm throwing the hat out. It's hot anyway. And I don't like the color. Don't have to wear it. So there were some women who were, they were coming into the church service and their head was uncovered. There were other people there who were like, oh my goodness, you came in with your head uncovered. God's going to strike you dead. They didn't understand the freedom issue. Paul had been teaching them that is a part of the pagan custom. That is a part of the old Jewish customs. And you're bringing that into the Christian church when you shouldn't. Because you have freedom from that. You have freedom. So some of the women were listening to Paul, and they were getting it. And they were saying, all right, I'm going to leave these customs behind. Because what are, what are they? They're just traditions of men. They're traditions of men. They have nothing to do with worshiping God. But they're hanging on to traditions of men. And then they're bringing it in. And not only that, the worst part, they're making it a part of their doctrine. Because they're saying in order to worship God, you've got to have your head covered. And that's not, that, that, that's, not what, that's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Paul taught. They're teaching that those things are ir- Irrelevant you leave those things behind. So, when Paul is talking in that passage there, he's trying to point out that uh, to carry on worship in a biblical way that upholds God's order is a good thing. We want order in a church service. We don't want to have chaos. We don't want to have things just... Uh, going crazy in a church service. There should be order. Uh, the point is that it was the custom in the synagogue and the pagan temples. It was the Jewish tradition. Uh, the Jews, that was a part of their tradition. And, uh, and we need to leave those tradition things behind. Um, some of you may have, uh, some of you may have been raised in, in a Christian uh, group that had a lot of traditions. There are things you did, things you didn't do. Um, there are some churches where you might come in and worship consists of a piano. Period. Never going to see drums up there. Never going to see a guitar up there. And they believe that that's how it needs to be done to be right. It's just like that. When you come here, we have everything. When you come here, we, you know, find, you want to bring cymbals up here and play them? Go ahead. Do that. You want to play a psaltery? If you know what a psaltery is, go for it. I don't know what it is, but it must be good, you know? So there's different views on how that's done. But are you going to tell me that, that we can't worship God because we have various instruments up here? None of you would say that. But that, that's kind of the point. It's kind of the point of what was going on here. 
Uh, but the, but the reason Paul said, go ahead and have your head covered is not because the head covering was important. It's because, it's because, uh, peace and, uh, harmony was important in the church. And this goes back to, I don't know if you can remember back this far, but I was talking, I don't know, a long time ago, uh, about how Christians who are immature, they're baby Christians, they don't get the freedom thing. They don't understand that yet because they're not there yet. They'll get there, but they're not there yet. And so when they see a Christian who is very mature and they understand I have freedom in this area, uh, they look at that Christian who is taking liberties and they're offended by it because they're thinking, a Christian doesn't. A Christian wouldn't do that. You know, there are uh, there are a variety of things that I can think of, and I know you can think of some things too. And uh, you know, I was always taught, "Oh, a Christian would never do that." Show me chapter and verse where it says that, because it doesn't. And I don't want to get really specific here because. <laughs> because somebody's going to be offended by what I just said. But but you can think of some things, can't you, that you were taught when you were young, and you're like, dude, is that really true? Is that really true that, you know, we can do these things, but we can't do that, or we can wear these things, or we can't wear that? I, I keep threatening to come up here and preach one of these days in shorts. Because I have freedom for that. I wear shorts all the time. But I know if I do that, someone's going to be offended. They're going to be like, wow, look at those white legs. So I don't, you know, I don't do that. But I do wear jeans. I wear jeans up here to preach in because I know that I'm dressed nicely. I'm being respectful of the position that I have here. But there's no need for me to wear a three-piece suit. I don't have to do that. I have freedom from that. I know that uh, as long as I'm dressed, uh, you know, covered, as long as I'm covered and I'm, I'm showing respect for the position that I have, I, God's not looking at what I'm wearing. And so extrapolate that out to some other things. That's what Paul is talking about. Um, he's saying, go ahead and wear the head covering out of respect for people who don't understand the freedoms that you have. Remember that Corinth was a Greek town. So there was a lot of new freedoms for the women that were taking place in the Hellenistic culture around them. So this wasn't just an issue going on in the church. It was the entire town. Things were changing in that town. So, I mean, you can imagine how it was, you know, you can imagine that the, the younger women were like, oh, I'm so glad to get rid of this thing on my head. You know, off it goes. I'm going to make a napkin out of it or something. It's never coming back. But then the older women who were more in line with the previous way of believing, the older women were a little more, they were hesitant to make the change. That was a little harder for them. So you can imagine that, you know, the younger women looking at the older women and they're thinking, wow, 
you know, this represents the old way, we're the new way. You can see that kind of thing going on. That kind of thing happens even with music in a church. What are we going to sing? Are we going to sing are we going to sing old songs or are we going to sing new songs? Are we going to sing it the old way or are we going to sing it the new way? And there's a lot of divisions over that. There's a lot of fights and arguments over that. It can cause a lot of discord in the church and Paul's telling them, "Look, peace is more important than moving forward sometimes. Sometimes we just need to take some time and let things work it out, and, and then eventually we'll get there. So um, things were changing, not just in the church, but um, Paul's talking previously about, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ. You're all one in Jesus. And the point of the head covering for the Jews was to emphasize the difference between men and women. That was the point of the Jews. So, those people with the Jewish background, uh, for those people with the Jewish Jewish background, having a woman speak up in the church service was a big no-no. They didn't do that. Woman, you know, woman walks into to the service in a in a uh, a Jewish synagogue, and the women are on one side, the men are on the other side, and the women stay quiet. The women are subservient to the men. Hence, the head covering. It's almost like you know we're going to make sure you know that you have to be quiet over here. Only the men can speak up. And that's not a problem for a woman to take part in a church service. That would be like, you know, it'd be like us saying, well, we can only have men up here singing. Sometimes it seems like that, but uh, the problem is, the problem we have is that there aren't any women, or many women, there's a couple of women who are willing to come up here and sing. But, so if you're a lady and you can sing, come on up, you know. Everyone's welcome. We're all one in Christ. You know, men have different roles from women. That's clear in Scripture. We have different roles. We have different responsibilities. But beyond that, men and women are the same. You know, there was a time when a woman was not allowed to get an education. I don't really understand that. You know, I, I, my, my thought is, I want my wife to be as capable as she can possibly be, because that takes, that takes work off of me, right? That's less that I have to do, because she can do it. That's my viewpoint, but maybe I'm just lazy, I don't know. So, uh, Paul told women that they should keep their head covered just for peace. So that's what, that's, that's why, that's why, you know, yeah, I think I, I think I beat that horse enough. But we don't want anyone to leave here thinking that Paul is telling women that they had to have their head covered in church. That is not what he's saying. So <clears throat> Paul is talking previously about spiritual maturity, and you need to bring that into this chapter because um, those are all things that that a uh, a mature Christian is going to understand. And understand that they're not bound by those kinds of customs. Uh, Paul's one of Paul's points that he makes 
he sort of makes it here, but he makes it in the previous chapters too, is that sometimes we, sometimes we give up our freedom because it's for the sake of the gospel. You know, we might uh, refrain from doing something because we want to be able to meet someone on their level and share the Lord with them. And if, if, we, if we take freedoms, that might block that ability to talk to them. They might not want to hear us because of what we're doing or what we're wearing. And so Paul's saying, even though you have freedom, sometimes you give it up for the sake of the gospel. So that's basically what Paul is saying there to the women. But as long as the gospel is honored, as long as it's intact, um, you know, this teaching of Paul is really relevant today. Um, There's a strong tendency for us as Americans in our society to read the Bible, to read Scripture through our Western eyes, through our American eyes. And we want to interact with Scripture through American eyes. But we need to keep in mind that Scripture was not written by Americans, and it was not written for Americans. And it should be read in the context that the author wrote it, that Paul, Paul wrote this. It should be written in the context of the age that it was written, and to the people that it was written to, and in the culture that it was written to. And remember that language changes over time. Just because you read a word in your Bible, and you know what that word means, does not mean that that's the meaning intended by the author. Sometimes we have misunderstandings because of that. We need to remember that we're centuries removed from when that text was written, and in some cases, we're centuries removed from when it was translated, even. So we are a world apart. We're a culture apart, or several maybe. And we don't want to make the mistake of reading what we're reading through American eyes. Because that was not what it, that's not the way it was written. It's important that we understand what the author intended for the audience to understand, and then we can take it and apply it to ourselves today. But it's just like the thing with head covering. You know, there's a lot of churches out there who read that head covering thing, and they're like, a woman's got to have a napkin on her head if she's going to walk into this church, because that's what was taught. But they're not understanding what was going on in that time. And they're not, they're not bringing what Paul said previously about freedoms into that time. We understand that we have different roles, men and women, but women are just as big a part of the church service as men are. They are. We have different roles, but they're just as important. So um, I, I, think that, I think that one thing that's important to point out is that there's a basic principle for interpreting Scripture where we need to interpret a passage or a chapter or possibly even a book in the light of the highest possible revelation of that subject. So what I mean by that is that uh, God reveals Himself in a progressive way. And you can see that from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the highest point of God's revelation of Himself to us is Jesus Christ. If you, if you only had the Old Testament, 
Are you going to find Jesus in the Old Testament? Yes, you will. But the highest point of revelation that God gave us about himself is Jesus. In Hebrews, we read this verse, Hebrews uh, 1, first and second verse, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophet, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So God himself points to his son. Remember when Jesus was being baptized, there was Jesus in the water, there was the presence of the Holy Spirit, and then there was the Father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So the Father is pointing to the Son as his highest revelation of himself. So when we deal with somebody in the Bible, even Paul, we want to take him at the point of the highest understanding. For instance, if you're looking at Peter's teaching in the gospel that he shared with the Gentiles, you, you wouldn't necessarily look at Peter's earlier teachings and say, well, that's Peter's view on Gentiles, because Peter's view of Gentiles changed over time. It changed. You'd want you'd to look at Peter's view of Gentiles um, after God dealt with him at the house of Simon the Tanner, because his understanding had changed up at that point. And uh, even though Peter was a follower of the Lord and one of his apostles, he still kind of hung on to that Jewish attitude towards Gentiles until that time. And then his view changed. So it'd be a mistake to build a doctrine on Peter's earlier view of Gentiles, even though we have them in the Bible and they're preserved. uh, Because at a later time, Peter agreed, Peter said, that it was God's intention for the church, for the gospel, to be shared with the whole world, including Gentiles. Prior to that, his focus was on the Jews. So we just need to be aware, you know, Paul's view on some things matured over time, as well as hopefully our views mature, right? Right? Hopefully I don't have the same views on things that I did when I was 20 because I had a really narrow viewpoint when I was 20. You know, I see things completely different now. I've, I've had more experiences, right? I can relate to people in a different way. It's true of people in Scripture too. And you can see that if you read, if you read what's written about them. You can see that um, if you read their writings, that they were maturing. God was revealing to them different views on things. And thank God that was, because you know what? We're all Gentiles, I think. I don't think there's any Jews here. None of us would even have a shot in the dark if it hadn't become clear to somebody that the gospel should be shared with the Gentiles. That was a maturing of understanding right there. So approaching Scripture like that, like I've just discussed with you, approaching Scripture like that, it respects the inspiration and the authority of Scripture, but it challenges our interpretation of it. Challenges our interpretation 
and uh, and our application of Scripture, and that's how it should be. We should feel challenged by it. You know, we should read and we should say, not only how does that apply to me, but do I actually have a, a correct understanding of what it's saying? Do I understand what it was that Paul was saying, and, and do I have a proper understanding of what that means to me? Because if you don't, when you read those first uh, verses of 1 Corinthians, you're going to have a completely wrong view of why the women had their head covered and, and what he says about hair. And so uh, the Holy Spirit worked there with, with uh, Paul, worked with Peter to create a full understanding, and, and the Holy Spirit worked to give them an adequate understanding, and we need that Holy Spirit with us to have a correct understanding as well. When, when we read Scripture, we need, to, we need to spend a little bit of time We need to ask God, God, reveal to me, show me, teach me, correct me, and and then be open to the fact that maybe we're wrong. You know, at the age that I am right now, um, it's a lot less hurtful to me if somebody comes up and says, "Uh, hey, buddy, I think you got that wrong, because I've been wrong before. (laughs) I've been wrong before, and I always tell people, you know, you know what? If, if you think I'm wrong, um, come ask me. But ask nicely, okay? I got really thin skin, and I bleed easily, so be nice. But you know, I want to know, right? We want to know. We want to know where we're right. We want to know where we're wrong. So, so. Uh, Paul's talking there about mutual submission. We need to understand what that means. Mutual submission, uh, 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 the example is a marriage, right? So a husband towards his wife and a wife towards her husband. Paul's talking about mutual submission. Um, The analogy of the relationship between Christ and the church is a marriage. And... That's not always an easy thing for a man to uh, to grasp because it's different. The relationship of Christ and the church as a husband and a wife is not always the easiest thing. But Paul's point is that we have mutual submission. We're submitted to each other. A man is submitted to his wife Man is not intended to be domineering, is not intended to be uh, even verbally abusive, let alone physically abusive. If a man respects his wife uh, as a person of God, as a person of the Lord, and he upholds her, and the wife is the same, the wife reveres the husband, um... I just heard a, and I'm pulling a blank on the name. Uh, there, there, there are a couple of, it's a couple of biblical people uh, in which the husband was, was nothing but a brute. He was nothing but a brute. And yet the wife protected him. The wife stood up for him. 
And when I read that, I'm like, wow, that's, that takes some character to do that because, you know, I, I look, I look at that guy and, and, uh, somebody's another, another biblical man is threatening to kill him. And I'm thinking, wow, here's your chance, lady. You know, all you got to do is step aside and your husband's gone and you didn't have anything to do with it. That's perfect. That shows, uh, that shows I got something bad in my heart, right? I don't know. But the lady stands up for her husband, even though he's a brute, even though he's abusive. The lady stands up for him, and, and that's how it should be. Honestly, that's how it should be. You know, um, ladies, if someone's talking down about your husband, you should be sticking up for him, even if they're right. And, and uh, husbands, if someone's talking down about your wife, you ought to be sticking up for them. You ought to be protecting them. You know, you should be honoring them. Even though maybe what they're doing is, you know, maybe you can see it's a little uh, little sideways. But that that is how we should be. That That is mutual submission. That's how we should be as a husband and wife. We should be taking care of each other. So this thing of mutual submission, um, that's what Paul is talking about there. He says to submit to one another in the fear of God. Submit to one another. And you know, I've, sometimes when I've performed a wedding, I've, I've talked about that. I said, you know, there's something beautiful about a husband who submits to his wife. He wants to do anything he can to make his wife happy. That's really easy, probably, for the first year or two of marriage. Then it gets difficult, doesn't it? There's something really beautiful about a woman who wants to do anything she can to make her husband happy. She wants to take care of him in any way that she can. And I'm telling you, if you've got a marriage like that, you have a marriage where you are taking care of each other that way, where you are honoring each other in that way and submitting to each other in that way, you got a beautiful marriage. You got a strong marriage. You know, it'd be it'd be sort of like uh, you know, in a marriage like that, if there was another lady, you know, the third third woman who was trying to get this lady's husband. He would tell her, you're not messing with my deal because my wife takes care of me. There's not much that would harm that marriage because when you take care of each other like that, you're going to protect that marriage. That husband is going to protect that wife. That wife is going to protect that husband because they got a good deal and they know they got a good deal. Taking care of each other like that is, um, you know, it does take some effort. I'm, I'll, I'll admit it, it takes some effort. You know, for me, and I think I've admitted this before, for me that the hard part is noticing when the garbage is full. You know, because when I go put something in the garbage, I can push it down a couple more inches. And I'm like, it's not full yet. And then, and then I go away and... Uh, and the next thing I know, I see my wife taking the garbage out. 
And, and then, then, I, then I feel really bad because, you know, it's just the man's job to take the garbage out. Roles, right? We have different roles. That's part of my role as the husband. Take the garbage out. Simple. It's not hard. You can see when it's full. But for me, I'm like, if I can push it down a couple more inches, it's not full yet. But my wife has a hard time pushing it down like that. So I need to, I need to be a little more proactive on that issue. But taking care, taking care of our spouse, taking care of our marriage, um, Paul says uh, there is neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You're all one. He says that multiple times. You're one. You're one. There's nothing in Scripture anywhere that teaches that a woman is less than a man. You know, I, I, I don't know where we're at now in the feminist movement, okay? It's gotten really messy. But I remember when all of that kind of started happening in the, I think it was the 70s. I was a kid back then. I'm just saying I was just a kid back then. But I remember. But... Uh, Back then, you know, a lot of the feminists were rejecting Christianity. They were saying Christianity is trying to make women inferior. No, I'll tell you what. Christianity was the great liberator of women. The great liberator. There is nothing in Scripture that ever teaches that a woman is inferior to a man. On the flip side, there's nothing that ever teaches that a man is inferior to a woman because there's that out there now too. So it's gotten really messy right now. I don't know where we're at, but, but folks, the, the Christian teachings, Jesus, the teachings of the Bible, all teach that women are to be upheld. They're to be honored. And a marriage is to be upheld and honored. And a marriage is to be protected and um, I've kind of gone off a tangent here. I apologize for that. But, um, but if you catch yourself, man or woman, if you catch yourself ever talking in a disparaging way about your husband or wife, you bite your tongue. Stop. Don't do that. Do not. Ladies, even if your husband does forget to take the garbage out. Maybe a gentle reminder. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But protect your husband. Protect your wife. Um, I don't know if I've, I've... I think I've missed reading some verses, but I, I'm just going to keep going because I'm kind of lost now. So chapter... Or, or verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better or for the worse. So now Paul is talking about taking communion. He's talking about taking communion in the church service. He says, but first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, but there are those who are approved, who may, re- who may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one is hungry and the other one is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So 
Paul switches now from the behavior of women in the worship service to the abuse of the observance of the Lord's Supper. Because communion is done the way we do it today, it's kind of difficult to imagine what was probably going on in that Corinthian church in that time. So the early church had developed a tradition in connection with observing the communion or the Lord's Supper. They had a meal. They called it a love feast. And every one of the people would bring something to share. They were all put together like a potluck. And they would sit down and they would have a meal, sort of like what we do on Agape Sunday. We all come together, we go over there and we eat. So you can imagine if we went over there and we we ate and, uh, you know, and that's just a really nice social environment that we have over there. And then at the end of that meal across the hallway, um, we observed communion. That's kind of what they were doing. So they had a like a potluck. And at the end of that, they would have communion. It's a little different than we do it, but really that's kind of the way Jesus did it. You know, at the Last Supper, they ate a meal and then the Lord took what was there. He took some bread and he took some wine and that was communion. And that was how he did it. So that's how they were doing it back then. So you can imagine at the end of the meal and, and everything's messy. We, the way we do it's really very clean right here. You know, there's, there's no mess. It's, it's very clean. But at the end of a meal across the, the way there, there would be dirty dishes. There would be spilled food, you know. It's not very, but that's how the Lord did it. And that's what they were doing at that time. But there were a couple of things that were happening in the Corinthian church um, when they had the love feast. And uh, one of them was that they tended to be divided up kind of by social standing. So all of the wealthy people, they were sitting over there and they had their food. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the medium people, the, uh, the middle class people, they're they're here and they have their food. And then over here were the poor people. And they didn't have any food or they didn't have much food. And so here were these folks over here and they had, you know, like all of the delicacies and a lot of wine. And apparently they were getting drunk. And then the people over here had very little or they didn't have anything. And then at the end of their meal they would do a little communion observance. And Paul is saying, you are completely dishonoring the communion service by the way you're doing it. There is no unity there at all. There's no unity. Not only that, some of you are drunk. How is that honoring God? So when Paul is talking there uh, in that verse about um, maybe it's in the next section where he talks about that 
But he's talking about divisions in, in the group with the communion service. That's what he's talking about. He's saying there's no unity there because you've divided yourself up according to class, according to social class. That would be sort of like, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm glad, honestly, I have no idea what social class any of you are. You all look pretty much the same to me, you know. I mean, if you buy a t-shirt from Costco and put it on, we look the same, right? So I have no idea where anybody is as far as class goes, you know. We all just mix ourselves up in here. I don't think you folks probably know either. And that's a good thing. That's really how it should be. Because we're one, right? We're one. So we're one, not only men and women, but we're one as far as social class goes. Nobody looks down on somebody else because of their social class. And certainly when we, when we observe communion, we need to be united. We need to be one. So it's hard for us kind of to think about what kind of abuses were going on, but maybe you can kind of imagine, imagine that um, a little more clear when you know, when you understand um, how that looked. You can kind of visualize that in your mind, um, what was happening. Um, Paul, is saying, Paul is saying, when you, when you come together, if you have a lot to bring, if you can afford a lot of food, bring it and share it. It's a potluck. If you can't afford very much food, you know, you bring your saltine crackers, put them on the table. And everybody shares whatever it is you have. You know, and really that, that's kind of how God provides, isn't it? That's, that's really how, that's how church works. Is people give what they can. You know, some people have abilities for some things and some people have abilities for other things. You know, if, if you wanted me to come up here and play an instrument, it would be pretty rough because that's not my ability. You know, and, and I'm, not even, I'm not even saying that I'm very good at, at speaking, you know, what I'm doing right now, but, but I can fill up the time. I, I can kind of... I can, I'll do what I can, right? I'll, I'll bring what I can. I'll bring the ability that I can. I offer it to the Lord. Whatever he does with it, it's up to him. He may say, Scott, get down, get off the drums. That sounds terrible. I don't know. But that's, that's what Paul was saying. Bring what you have. Don't just hoard it over here. It's not just for you. Maybe that's the point. When God gives us something, it's not just for us. It's for us to share. And that's probably more the proper attitude. So verse 23, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And then when he given thanks, he broke it and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which I broke for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, 
whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. So when you read those verses, maybe you're thinking, am I worthy? Man, last week was a bad week and I sinned a lot. Does that make me unworthy? No. No, it doesn't. Because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. If that were the standard, nobody would ever participate in communion. We'd just put it up there and we'd all walk away in shame. Every one of us. Because if that's the standard, we can never meet it. So when that, in those scriptures that we're talking about eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, what he's talking about, he's talking about the party-like atmosphere that the rich people had over here where they were getting drunk and then all of the divisions between the people. That's what he was talking about. You need to go back and look. What was he talking about in the passage before? Take the whole thing together. This is what I was talking about in the very beginning, about being careful, about understanding what it is that that the writer of the book is talking about. So you have a good understanding of, of where you're at. I've heard this, I've heard this spoken on before, and you know, people sometimes people they don't they don't take communion because they're like, wow, it was a bad week last week. Well, you know what? Honestly, it was a bad year last year. In fact, if you want to be perfectly honest about it, the last two or three years have been pretty bad. So I'm not going to take communion for two or three years. Really? I'm glad that's not the standard. The standard is that we understand that communion is a solemn event. It's not to be taken lightly. That we are to be united as a church. That we're to be we're to have peace, that we are to be submitted to one another, that we honor one another. All of these things in the previous chapter that Paul's been talking about, all of that comes down to this. This is how we take communion. This is how we honor God. And I need to wrap it up, but you know me, I... I, I the problem is I don't get to speak to you guys very much, and so it kind of piles up. And so when I when I actually get up here, I don't want to I don't want to quit. But um, I'm I'm going to stop there. And uh, next week I'm going to continue this. And I'm kind of hoping that by the time Pastor Mike gets back, that I will have gotten through First Corinthians. It's been a long time. So in in just a minute we're going to pray. But before I do that, I want to remind you that we do have refreshments across the hall and uh, encourage you to stay and uh, talk with your friends that are here and uh, spend a little time together, fellowship a little bit together, and uh, that would be great. So uh, I'm going to pray. And, uh, you know, if, if you've never given your life to the Lord, if you've never committed your life to Him, made Him your Savior, this is your chance to do that. And I'm going to pray right now and invite you to pray right along with me. And um, 
And then when I'm done with that, I'm going to be right down here in front, and I'd like to pray with you one-on-one one one, uh, if you have a special need. And uh, if you did pray to receive the Lord, I certainly want you to come down here and pray with you. So let's pray. Lord God Almighty, Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that He is our redemption. We know, Lord, that we're sinful people, and we need a Savior. We need a Savior every day. Lord, I, I give my life, I give my heart to you, and I repent of my sinful ways. Lord, I commit myself to serving you. I ask you to use me. I ask you to infill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to know you in a very real and personal way, and I want to follow you, and uh, I want your presence in my life. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and let me know the joy of walking with you throughout my journey the rest of my days here on this earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.